Welcome everybody. We're continuing in our series on hearing from God, identity, and then freedom. And this week we'll be focusing on the person of the Apostle Paul and following him in his journey from being Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road to the Apostle Paul out into the Gentile world. It's going to be really exciting. We're glad you're with us. Yeah, Lord, thank you. We are children of God. That is our shared identity. And we're grateful because you have given us uh, inheritance. You've adopted us. And we're so grateful for that. And deeper than that is an identity that's unique to each one of us. And Lord, we want to hear that. We want to understand that deep identity. We want to hear it from you and your spirit. So we commit this service to you, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey. I like that, I like the, that greeting. Hey. Yeah, because you know, you, it sounds like there's, it's open-ended. Depending on the intonation, if someone goes, hey, then you feel like, what, what? But it's like, hey. Then it feels like, what? Like if someone's going to say something to you. If someone says, be blessed, it's kind of like it's over, right? Be blessed. Oh, okay. There's nothing to go beyond that. Just receive the blessing and move on out of the line kind of thing. But I like, hey. And I like it when Jason laughs up here. Right in the middle, he starts laughing. I, I, I like that. I, in the church I grew up in, you didn't laugh. Nobody laughed. That's what we had ushers. If you started laughing, <laughs> yeah, oh, half you'd be out of here right now already. So I want to put up this slide, the I know class slide. Can you all put that up there? Oh, wow, that was fast. Yeah, I know. That's the class on identity. It starts March 11th. That, that's the class you want to go to. And when you get in that class and... You look at the Lord and you go, hey. And he goes, hey, do you know who you are? And that's how that class starts. And that's what that class is all about. It's about identity. So as we're talking about this on Sunday, as Kim's talking about hearing and Derek's talking about identity, and I'm going to also talk about identity, and then we're going to move into freedom. Wow, that is it. If you don't hear from God, if God doesn't speak and we don't hear from him, we're pretty much left on our own devices, which is frightening. So there has to be some kind of hearing component in order for us to receive and know things. And then once we receive and know things about who we are and who God is and who others are, then, then we can start to move in freedom. And we can invite other people into freedom, which is, which is what being a witness is all about. So it's that beautiful process. And when, you, when you're reading the scriptures, the thing I love about the text is... How, the, how it's just this gorgeous process all the time. It's just these different processes. And maybe we're not paying attention to them. But when Luke's telling a story, when Moses is telling a story, when any of them are the narrative scripture, Paul's writing a letter, they're following a certain process. So in, um, if you study literature or creative writing or any of that kind of thing, or you just watch a movie that you really like, they're following 
really, really what the Greeks kind of identified in tragedy and comedy both. They're following a certain process, and it, sometimes it's called the hero's journey. It's called different things. But it goes like this. It, it goes like this. There's a, there's, a, there's a place where the character is that seems pretty stable. It's the beginning of the story, like that. And then for the story to progress, that stability has to be threatened or shaken somehow. So they call that in literature the departure. So you're starting here, and then there's the departure. If there's no departure, there's no story. So that says something about life. In life, there has to be departures, or there's no story to tell. You're just stuck. So there's the departure, and then you go on the departure, and the departure causes all this turmoil and this disorder. So you have this order, and the departure forces you into a kind of disorder. Because over here, you might know everything, and everything's perfect, and you got it all figured out, and you're never leaving there. But that's not real life. So there's events that happen that force you out. You depart into disorder. And in the disorder, there's the encounter. <laughs> that's the literary. So departure, order, to disorder, then the encounter in the middle of the disorder, and then reorder or return. So you kind of go back home here, but you don't go home the same way you left home. You're different. Right? So it's order, disorder, reorder. In literature, departure, encounter, return. That's the process. It's kind of the life process. And so think of being born. There's, you're in the womb, pretty secure. Everything's as it should be. Not a lot to worry about. Then there's the departure, which is traumatic for everyone involved. It's a traumatic, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, this ordered world that, you, that is, you don't have to worry about anything. It's all safe. You're safe. No one can threaten you. And then all of a sudden, your world starts to contract and, and boom, out you go. And then someone grabs you and yanks you out and they might spank you and you're like, wow, I'm already in religion. And, and, or, or something. I don't think they do that anymore. I don't know. And then you're out and everything's crazy and it's all like this. And all you're looking for in this departure, thank you, and beautiful, great timing. Mm. I, we worked so hard on that and it worked. It was just so, I didn't think it was going to happen. And, then, and then, then that child, when that child is in the mother's arms and looking into the mother's eyes, it's a kind of return. But it's never going to be like that again. But there's a, there's, a, there's a reordering. And there is safety out in this crazy thing that you got to through this traumatic experience. There is a kind of return. There's a kind of separateness. But now there's a kind of different kind of attachment and return. And it's actually more powerful and greater because of what lies ahead. And if you just stay there, well, that would be miserable for all, everyone involved. So, so that's the process. So if I tell a story, if I engage in a narrative, you would hear these parts, for example. Uh, and I can start anywhere, really, in the story. So I'll start like this. So when I went to seminary, so seminary is a place you go to make sure you understand everything perfectly 
and you have certainty about all of it, even God. And it's in a book, and it's easy. They give you the book. It's called Systematic Theology, and you just read it, and you're like, oh, I got it. And so that's the order that you're in. And we like, humans think they want order. They think they want certainty. You really don't. But you think you do, because then you don't have to think anymore. You can just hide. You don't even really need God. Like, I don't need to hear you. I got a book, and you're pretty well described right here. So I don't need this interaction. I just have the interaction between me and the book. Like that. And so I'm in seminary, and I loved it. I love seminary. I love theology. I loved hiding away in the library and reading everything I could find on all kinds of subjects. And, I, and part of my master's degree was linguistics and linguistic theory. I loved it. I could have lived in that library the rest of my life. It was so safe and secure. And anything I wanted to know, I didn't have to experience it. I could just read it and sit there. But then I had a class, a class in evangelism and taught by this guy, uh, this uh, guy from Ireland, famous evangelist. And so we're in the evangelism class. But fortunately, in evangelism, there was also a pretty strict order. And so all you had to do was go out and ask people these two questions. If you die tonight and stand before God, and he asks you why he should let you in, what would you say? That's one of them. Uh, I don't even remember the second, because that's kind of the most important one. But that's, so that's the beginning question. And then from there, you just have these things you memorize, and you just go through them with the person. Right? And so, like, I got, we memorized that. And then you were graded on how many times you did that, but not how many times you did it, like how far did it progress with the person. So a C was like you did it, I don't know, 25 times in a semester. A B, a B was if they responded positively. Oh, it's an A. They prayed the prayer, A. Like, okay, I got that. That's straightforward. Just go find people. You don't even really have to know them. You just have to work through these questions and this process and get them to say that, A. So I'm like, I got that. But then when I got out there, it was like, I, didn't, it, I, was, kinda, I was nervous. And so it took me a, half the semester just to think, I probably should talk to somebody. Like that. So, but, but I wanted an A. But by halfway through this semester, I was like, probably, I mean, probably only in B range. I don't think anyone's going to be transformed. Probably in B range. And then it got closer. And I'm like, I got to get, get on this. So... At least I got to get a C. That's 25 people or something I got to start talking to. So I don't have time to really interact with them. I just got to ask them the four questions and get number two and three like that, right? And so I'm in, I'm in the YMCA, I'm in the weight room, and I'm trying to talk to anyone. Nobody will talk to me. So I'm like, ah, I got to get a C at least. So I go out in the parking lot, I get in my car, and I see the parking attendant in his little booth that you have to drive up to and hand the little ticket to, and I'm like, boom. He's not going anywhere, especially when I block him with my car. Like he's got, I got it. He's got to at least let me get through the quest the diagnostic questions. So, and hand him the book. You got to hand him the book. That was part of it. Hand him the book. Hand him the book. Go through the questions, hand him the book, get a C. There it is. That's certain. And so I drive up to the booth and then I, I say, hi, let me ask you a question. He tries to talk to me. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. If you died tonight, he's like, what? Hold on, hold on. Because part of the training was don't let them get off in rabbit trails. 
Some of you have been through this training. Like, don't let them talk about their personal life. Forget that. Get through the questions. Keep them focused. <laughs> so maybe he didn't even work there. Maybe it was a person that just stepped in the booth for a minute. I didn't know. It didn't matter. I got to get through the questions. So I say, if you die tonight, and I hand him the book. I hand him the book. If you die tonight, and here's what he does with the book. See, now I'm in disorder. See, like it was all order. Now we're suddenly in disorder. And he threw it at me. And he says, I hate people like you. I know. That's what I said. Like, why? If you would stop talking, this would be an amazing presentation. I hate people like you. Why? You don't care what I think about anything. How do you know I'm not even a believer? And I'm like, oh, shoot. And he goes, just drive on. Just get out of my face. And so I pull out, and I'm like, wow, what was that? And my whole world is in this disorder. Like, God, I was trying to do what you wanted me to do. Was I? Was I? I didn't even ask God what he wanted to do. This is what you're told to do in your little ordered world. And so the only thing that can happen in the disorder part is either you try and just go back and live in the ordered world again and try and do that again to somebody, or you say to God in the disorder, what do you want me to know about that? And, and how would the real me have that conversation? Not the seminary me, not the EE me, but the real me and the real him. I didn't meet the real him. He was just an object, a victim of my grade. And that's all I really cared about. I was trying to get the points. I didn't really care that much about him. And so my, my world was disordered. And so I'm driving down the street. This is in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm driving down the street, and I stop at a traffic light, and I'm really, oh, so embarrassed. And I'm like, I would have never done that when I was a cop. I would have never done that to a person. Why am I doing it now? Because I'm being graded? Because I'm being measured by a system that's trying to just say, just do this and just do it. And so I'm sitting at a traffic light and, this per and I said, God, would you please show me how to share my faith the way you made me to do it? Like, tell me, because that isn't it. That's definitely not it. He feels bad. I feel bad. Nothing happened. <clears throat> so I'm sitting at the light. I'm not going I'm, I'm to share my faith again until you show me the right way to do it. Then comes the encounter. This guy bangs on the window of my car at the traffic light. And I look over, and he just opens the door and jumps in the front seat. I'm like, wow, here we go. <laughs> and he said, can you take me, I don't know, two miles down the road to that place and drop me off? And I'm like, well, you're in, so... Uh, and so I, I said, yeah, I started driving. He says to me, it's clearly a person of the street, and he says to me, what's the matter with you? You look depressed. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm just going to tell him the truth. I said, well, I'm in this class. I got to share my faith 25 times to get a C. He's like, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, straight, it's a hard class. Anyway, and so, and, and I just tried to share with the guy in the parking thing, he he ripped up my track, threw it at me, said he hates people like me. He's, this guy says, what were you trying to tell him? And I said, well, I was trying to tell him about a relationship with God, but really I just kind of gave him a canned presentation that didn't mean anything to him, and he, it offended him, and 
And, he's, and then this guy goes, well, how would you say it if you were saying it like you really wanted to say it? And I said, well, I would have said this, and I said it with him while we're just driving and stopping at traffic lights, driving and stopping at traffic lights. And he says, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. He said, why don't you say it like that every time? Just whatever's in your heart, just say it. And then he goes, okay, thanks for the ride. Jumps out, walks away. And the Lord says, that's the way I want you to do it. Just like that. And so, yes, thank you. Oh. <laughs> and so, I return back to sharing my faith, but not like that. See, so there's the departure from the order into the disorder, thank God, into ch 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 into, Lord, you show me the encounter, whoever this person was, <laughs> I don't know, who says, do it like you know how to do it. Do it like you used to do it when you were a cop. And jumps out of my car and walks away to reorder, but never the same. Never the same. Right? And all that's because I gave away my real identity and how I talk to people. I traded it away for a C in an evangelism class. Getting my identity from what people think about me, what I do, what I have, and not from what God says about me. So what I want to look at this morning is, Derek talked about Gideon, beautiful. And so I'm just gonna, I'll just jump into the New Testament and talk about Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. What's the journey from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul? And I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, you can read a lot of passages in Scripture because Paul talk, gives his testimony quite a few times. And so you can read in the different passages where he's talking about his past. But I want to start, I want to read in Galatians in particular because I want you to see the, when he consolidates the whole thing. We're gonna, we'll dig into a little bit of his encounter, but when he's consolidating his life and his understanding of identity, it's astounding what he says about it. And so you wonder, wow, where does all this identity stuff come from? Is it in the Bible? You know, where, what is this? And so that's what we're demonstrating. That we know this, and we know the order, disorder, reorder, narrative pattern from Scripture. That's how we know it. And so... If we read Galatians, we're looking at, well, if Paul was going to give a short explanation of identity, where would he do it without his full-blown testimony? And he does it in Galatians 1. So I'm going to read, let's read through part of it. We're going to read Galatians 1, 11 through 16. This is what he says. For I want you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was proclaimed and made known by me is not man's gospel. It's not a four-point presentation in a little booklet. It's not what it is. It's not man's gospel, a human invention according to or pattern after any human standard. That's a pretty astounding... If, if we were just going to do a course on how to share your faith, that's a pretty astounding statement right there. 
I'm reading from the Amplified. It's not man's gospel, a human invention, according to or patterned after any human standard. For indeed, I did not receive it from man. I didn't, some dude in a parking lot didn't pull up so I couldn't get out and shove a book in my face. I didn't receive it that way. For indeed, I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came to me through a direct revelation given by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It came to me in a personal experiential encounter with Christ. And until you have that, you don't have it all. You don't understand it all. This is what we're looking for. I want to meet Christ. I can listen to this person talk and that person talk, but I want to see Christ. And the scripture says that when, we're, that when we're praying and when we're moving in life, it says, fix your eyes on the evangelist. No. On the person you read the book about? No. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is the author and the perfecter of the faith that you need and that you walk in. And that's what Paul's, that's what he's trying to emphasize here. For indeed, I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came to me through a direct revelation given by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then he starts to tell, he encapsulates sort of his testimony. You have heard of my earlier career and former manner of life in the Jewish religion, Judaism, how I persecuted and abused the church of God furiously and extensively and with fanatical zeal did my best to make havoc of it and destroy it. So he's not a guy that kind of, you know, doesn't agree with Christianity or whatever. He hates it. And he does everything he can to destroy it and anyone that adheres to it. Not halfway, all the way. So he is not a person that you would probably go seek out to talk to. Because he not only will out-argue you from the Torah, he will also arrest you and have you killed. So that's how much he's opposed to it. And that's his career. That's a vocation for him. And you have heard how I outstripped many of the men of my own generation among the people of my race in my advancement in study and observance of the laws of Judaism, so extremely enthusiastic and zealous I was for the traditions of my ancestors. So that's what he was like. That was his home. That was his order. That was his ordered world. And he knew it top to bottom. And you are not going to out-argue him on all of his defenses, all of his apologetics and polemics about how certain he is of everything that he believes. It's his, it's his lived identity at every part of who he is. I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I am the greatest religious Hebrew that has ever lived. And I will destroy anyone that gets in my way. That's, that's a pretty strong identity. Except there was a departure from the order. 
there, there, was a, there was something that happened that pushed him out of his order and into the encounter, the disorder into the encounter. Look what he says, 15, verse 15. But, so here's my identity from top to bottom, every part of who I am. I think, I'm going to show you in a second. They never stopped thinking about this vocation. They breathed it. They lived it. Everything about him is I understand everything there is to know about Torah and Judaism and all of it, even eschatology. I know it all. I've got it all figured out. And no human can change my mind. That's what he's saying. But, but when he who had chosen me, and look at this, look what he says, who had chosen me and set me apart when? (laughs) Before I was even born, before this, before all of my certainty, before all of I know exactly what to believe about God, I know everything about the future, I I know how history ends, I know who wins in the end. And the reason he doesn't hear from God is because he doesn't need to. And he doesn't want to because nobody messes with my certainty. Nobody. But, but God did mess with it. And what God wants him to know is that even before you were born, in your mother's womb, I gave you an identity, and it's not this. But it is this, but it's not this. But it's kind of this, but it's not this. There's a reordering that has to happen through encounter. But when he who had chosen me and set me apart, even before I was born, and had called me by his grace, his undeserved favor and blessing, saw fit, And was pleased, look at this, look at this sentence, to reveal, unveil, disclose his son, where? Within me. When was the son within Paul? On the Damascus Road, did he suddenly get saved like that? That's not what he thinks. He's saying that when I met, when I had this encounter with Christ, What I began to understand was that the whole time, the whole time I was knit together in my mother's womb by him in his grace and he was in me. And I didn't know. And I had this lived identity that my job was to kill everyone that believes in Jesus. That's how wrong I was about what was really inside of me. That's what Derek's talking about. The lived identity can be wrong. Even if it's grounded in your mind or Paul's mind, in the Torah, in the scripture, in the text. He knew the text. What he didn't know was the word of God. The real word of God. Jesus, the word of God. He knew scriptures referring to God. He didn't know God himself. So when he who had chosen me and set me apart even before I was born had called me by his grace, 
saw fit and was pleased to reveal himself, his son, within me. To do what? So that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. Okay, stop, 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 stop. So now we have to go back. We have to go back at Acts 22. And I'm just, you can go read this yourself. You want to like dig into Acts 22. Acts 22, 6 through 21. You need to go back. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. But come on, Paul. You're saying, you're telling us that you were, you were zealous. You knew the Torah. You knew eschatology. Your epistemology was flawless. You were greater than most other Jewish scholars. You're, I mean, he's from Tarsus, uh, which is where Cleopatra met Mark Antony, by the way. Just a side note. But he's from Tarsus, and he's from a Jewish family that's wealthy enough to buy Roman citizenship. So they're successful, and they're smart, and he's super well-educated. Like, he's got all that. He's a Jew, but he's a Roman citizen. It's like, that's unbelievable. That gives him all kinds of power. To do what? To destroy people who oppose him. That's what he used it for. To destroy people who he believed were against God. If we would have said Saul of Tarsus, have you ever heard God speak? I don't need to. No, I've never heard him speak. Why? I I don't need to. And I don't want to. Because what if he tells me something that throws my whole world into disorder? I don't want to hear that. I don't want to lose my certainty. I don't want to hear it. So people say, I don't hear from God. I can't hear from God. Do you want to? Do you want to? Because I'm going to tell you one thing he's going to do. He's going to blow your world up. I promise you. I don't care how certain you think you are about stuff. He will blow it up. Read the Bible. He blows everybody's world up. Even Jesus was in there going... Is there another way to do this? Even him. Because why? Because he wants to reorder you so that you understand what's true and real about you and him and others. And you won't do it in your little certain ordered world. You won't do it. You're too afraid. Acts Acts 22, 6. Here's my paraphrase. So when guys like Paul, he was trained, he's a Pharisee, Some say he was trained under Gamaliel. No one knows, really. He's pretty fanatical. He's a little too fanatical to be trained by Gamaliel because Gamaliel was a a good man and probably a believer in the end there. But anyway, he's trained. And one of the things these guys would do when they were traveling around because they were so disciplined in how they thought about everything that when they traveled, they would meditate on certain passages of the Old Testament. So the reason I'm telling you this is I want you to see that what happens to Paul is not like so bizarre he doesn't get it. He actually, it actually makes sense to him what happens. It's what's revealed in the incident that blows his mind. So when he would travel around or people of his same training, one of the passages they would meditate on is Ezekiel chapter 1. There were several passages, but this was the main one. So even if you're in the old city of Jerusalem today and you're walking around down by the Wailing Wall, you'll see, you'll see Orthodox Jews, when they're walking with their head down, they're not looking around. Some of them wear glasses that actually blur everything so they can't see what's in front of them. And so they walk around and they just march straight ahead like this because they're meditating on a passage of the Old Testament. So when they're between here and going to another location, that's what they're doing, like that. And they're moving their body when they walk as part of the meditation. 
So when Paul's on the road to Damascus, that's what he's probably doing. He's meditating on Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 is where Ezekiel sees the chariot throne of God. It's like, the, it's like the greatest vision for a Jewish person to have is to be able to actually experience seeing the chariot throne of God. And so they meditate on the, the descriptions in Ezekiel chapter 1. So imagine Paul... And you can read in in Acts when he's talking about this. He's on his way. He has letters that empower him to arrest and interrogate and even kill people who oppose Orthodox Judaism. The reason they have authority to do that from the high priest is because this is what they believe. That only when all Jews become Orthodox and in a right standing with God can the Messiah come. So by getting rid of anyone that dilutes or makes the vision of God true, which would be wayward Jews or Jews that believe something other than the Orthodox, if those people either have to be brought into the fold or executed to purify the race so that, so that when our team is all together and we're 100%, Messiah can come. So he is desperate to purify the people. And he's meditating on the chariot throne of God because he believes that when, when the heavens open and history ends, which will end when everyone's right with God, Sounds familiar, doesn't it? When everyone's right with God, boom, the thing will end. And when it ends, all of the non, all of the dirty people will be consumed and tortured over here. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus, will be elevated as you were right all along. You were the right one. They didn't listen to you. And God will, will, will verify your team is the best team and your team wins. That's what he's meditating on, and that's what he's waiting for. And the worst thing that's ever happened to them is this belief in Jesus thing. That is like ruining the whole thing. And so he's got to go around and find these wayward Jews who believe in Jesus and are slowing down the end times. That's what he believes. And so he's on his way to Damascus, and oh, no, the heavens open, and it's going to happen. Can you imagine Paul? He's like, here we go. It's the chariot throne of God. And it is. It's Ezekiel chapter 1. And it's more than Ezekiel. It's greater than Ezekiel chapter 1. God, tell me how right I am. Tell me how correct I am about all my end time eschatological theory. Tell me how right I've been the whole time. How wrong they've all been the whole time. And elevate me to the place of being one of the right ones and get rid of all the wrong ones. Speak to me, God, I'm listening. And Jesus says, what? And Jesus says to Paul, you're not right. You're actually wrong. What? This is called disorder. And his whole view of history crumbles in front of him. His whole view of the end times crumbles in front of him. His whole view of who's right and who's wrong crumbles in front of him. And this is what Jesus says. And Paul says that Jesus spoke to him in Hebrew, which is super interesting. That God 
who's not limited by language, speaks to the language of the heart of the person he's talking to. Whatever language that is. In Hebrew, he says to Paul, you know who you're persecuting? Me. When you touch any of these people, you're touching me. And besides, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're incorrect. Here's what I made you to do. I made you to be the defender of these people, not the prosecutor of them. Close, close, but wrong. Defender of them. And so this is what he says in Galatians. But he who set me apart even before I was born and had called me by his grace saw fit and was pleased so that I might proclaim him among what? The bad people? The wrong people, the dirty people, they carried in with them, some sects of the Pharisees carried with them a parchment that had 13 reasons why Gentiles will never be acceptable by God. They had figured it out from the Old Testament, why God will never accept these people. I mean, can you imagine you have a list telling God why he won't accept a certain people group? Who would do that? And, and, and so, so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world. Paul's over here in, in, his, in his lived identity. I'm the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest religious teacher. I'm going to, I'm going to be the greatest religious writer, the smartest one. And, and I'm going to purge. I'm going to purge the world of anyone that doesn't believe in Orthodox Judaism. Then he meets Jesus, and what happens? What's the reorder? He is the greatest. He is the greatest writer. He is one of the smartest people we've ever seen. He is one of the greatest religious leaders of all times, except he defends the Gentiles. Slight switch right there. And then in Romans, he says this, Well, it says, so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world, as the glad tidings. Immediately, I did not confer with flesh and blood. I did not consult or counsel with any frail human being or communicate with anyone. Now he has to reorder. The whole thing has to be reordered. But this time, not with a group of Pharisees alone. Alone with the people of God and the spirit of God. And now God's got to go find a guy that's crazy enough to come talk to this lunatic who's Ananias who doesn't want to go. He has to have a personal encounter to go talk to this guy who just had a personal encounter. Because without the personal encounters, they're never going to be friends. They're just going to fight against each other until the end. And then in Romans 15, he says this, thus my ambition has been to preach the gospel not where Christ's name has already been known, lest I build on another man's foundation. If you ask Paul, what was your lived identity? He tells us, Jew of Jews, Pharisee of Pharisees, killing everyone that disagreed with me in my own little certain world where I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And don't tell me God speak. I don't need him to speak because I got it all figured out. And I don't want him to speak because I don't want him to change one thing about what I've already got figured out because it'll mess up what I've got figured out. But I'm going to be the greatest of the people in this group. And I'm going to kill everyone else that's not in this group. And when God comes, he's going to tell me how amazing I am. That's his lived identity. Personal encounter with Jesus over here. 
What's your true identity? In my mother's womb, I was called to the Gentiles to share the good news of Christ with the Gentiles in places where no man has ever gone before. And so Paul says, he says, simultaneously, I am the greatest of the apostles. And and as one untimely born, as one that's totally messed up. That's right. That's right. In the fullness of my identity, no other like me. In the fullness of your identity, there is no one that can compare to you. And yet, apart from Christ, can't do any of it. That's what he's saying. I remember who I formerly am, he says. I do, but there is no condemnation there. That's that beautiful balance of my identity comes from the one with whom I've had a personal encounter. So this morning, right now, let's do this together. Let's do it together. We're going to have our prayer team come up here. And I'm just, let's just walk through it. Because we can walk through this process, this order, disorder, reorder, all the time. And the identity process, constantly, constantly checking to make sure that I'm living in the truth in a personal encounter, in a personal relationship with Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to have your certain world disrupted. Because the reorder that's coming is greater than anything you could put together in your own little ordered cave. And the Lord wants you to be over here. I want, the Lord wants you to know who you really are. You're not a madman that runs around hating other people and persecuting them and killing them and hiding. That's not who you really are. You, in your mother's womb, I knit you together to be the greatest defender and evangelist among the Gentiles that's ever lived. And I want you to go places nobody else would go. That's who you've always been. But you just didn't know it until you met Jesus. Okay? All right, let's, let's pray together. It's just so coming out of, coming out of the certainty is called confession. It's called confession. The encounter, the disorder, is called repentance. And the reorder is called transformation. That's what we're doing. It's what the whole scriptures are about. So we confess like this, Lord, where in my life, where in my life am I stuck and I'm afraid to hear from you? I'm afraid of what you might say. I'm afraid that you might Break me out into a world that I'm afraid of. A world where I feel like I'm a victim. A world where I feel powerless and alone. I'm afraid of that. So I'm, I'm holding on to my little place of certainty. Where I feel like I know everything and I'm the God. So, so Lord, would you just show me where that is in my life? Is it what I believe about you? that you don't speak, that I can't hear you, that you won't lead, that I can't trust you? What is that place? Just let the Spirit, Spirit, would you just search us and know us? And would you, Lord, is there any place in my life, is there any place in my life where I just can't let you disrupt it? I just can't come out. 
I've, I've got to self-protect and self-promote. I'm not free. I can't be free. Because if I'm free, I'll die. Where is that place? And, and as that comes to your mind, just give it to the Lord. Just let him have it. Let him have the fear. Let him have it. And like Christ, visualize Jesus, Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, so that we can run the race with endurance. So give that fear, give that place where you're blocked to Christ, high and lifted up, and then ask Jesus, Lord, what do you want me to know about this fear? What do you want me? I don't think you really speak. Help me hear you. Help me understand you. Show me clearly that you are the risen one who's come in the flesh. You are the one. You do speak to your sheep. I struggle to believe this. Would you help me hear your voice right now? Where am I afraid? Lead me out. Where am I stuck? Lead me out. Into the world. This big, amazing, beautiful world like Paul stuck in his small sect of Judaism, and, and his field is the whole world where no one's gone before. Freedom. But give it to Jesus. Jesus, would you, would you speak to me now? Would you say what I need to know about you and about myself and about other people? Would you speak to me now? And when Jesus speaks to you and he, and he tells you, like, I died for you. I rose again for you. I... It's a gift to you. It's by my grace that you are redeemed and my forgiveness. Receive it. Don't be afraid of it. Receive it. But he's not going to let you sit there. He's going to call you out. So Jesus, I receive Christ. I receive you into my life. Fill me with the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, how do I live this out just today, tomorrow? How do I walk it out? For Paul, it was like he had to get with another person who was a real believer, who, could, who, would, who would spend time with him and teach him and lead him out with amazing Ananias. In two years, he did that. And then he started to go out and speak. Lord, Lord, lead me out. Lead me out. I'm stuck in a cave. I'm stuck. Lead me out. I'm going to end up living life less than I ever hoped. It's not great. It's, it's lead me out into beyond what I could ask or imagine, like Paul, so that, so that I can say, in my mother's womb, you called me, you knit me together to be what? And to go live where? Lord, would you, would you do that in me this morning? It, it took one powerful encounter between Saul of Tarsus and Jesus before Paul the Apostle and the community of believers started walking it out. This is the encounter day. Now is the time for the encounter. So Lord, would you just break me out in the truth of who I really am so that when we talk about freedom, I will know what it means. I will know what it means. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, let's, we're going to have our prayer team come forward. Listen, once Paul understood who he was, he went, he needed community. 
He needed community, and he made all kinds of mistakes starting out, many. He needed that community. And so come forward if you need community. We have community groups. Pray with people that can help you. It's all for your benefit. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you won't let us sit alone, that you'll call us out, that you'll challenge us, you'll fill us with your courage, and you'll move us out into a world that needs our unique identity. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. See you all next week.